Thomas, how are we going to make the resource management act sexy for people? Um, yeah. The RMA is New Zealand's biggest barrier to future development, and it will go. The government will scrap the Resource Management Act and replace it with three new pieces of legislation. Successive governments have grappled with the complex and cumbersome planning law that was supposed to balance development against protecting the environment. We're concerned that you would get broad agreement on a long-term strategic plan that would then be thwarted when you come to consent projects. We need to give clearer signals to the people who invest in infrastructure to free up opportunities for people to build housing both up and out in growing cities, but we want to do it in a way that doesn't interfere with natural values. Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, they're finally getting around to it, cleaning up the back garage after nearly 30 years of accumulating who knows what. The Resource Management Act is getting an extreme makeover this legislative Frankenstein's monster will be replaced by three new Acts of Parliament, one dealing with land use and environmental protections, one to do with long-term planning, and one to do with climate change and managed retreat. So, what will actually change? How are we going about it? And why should you and I care? I think the history of it's quite fascinating because it's sort of it came out of that Muldoon period where the government could kind of do whatever it wanted mm. and now the RMA has been set up so that the government can't do whatever it wants in an era where it actually would like to do a lot like building housing. Okay, alright, this is good history. This is a good place to start. And by the way, this is stuff senior reporter Thomas Coglin. So the history of the RMA is kind of, it's, it's a sort of subplot for the big 1980s reforms that everyone loves to talk about, um, you know, the birth of, of what we you know, often call neoliberalism and things. It was a 1984 election pledge, not the RMA itself, but, but a, a pledge to kind of clean up resource management in New Zealand. When we talk about resource management here, we're talking about the natural resources New Zealand has, land, air, water, that sort of stuff. So 1984 would just come out of Muldoonism and the government could essentially do whatever it wanted, wherever it wanted. There was a law that Muldoon passed, the National Development Act, which gave in the initial draft, it didn't, the final draft didn't, didn't do this, but the initial draft let Cabinet suspend 28 Acts of Parliament if it wanted to do something somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to I put up a dam in your town, you can't stop me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll suspend everything to put up this dam. And Obviously, that was horrendously unpopular. Throughout that period, you get the birth of the um, environmental movement. So there's this sense that our impact on the environment is a profoundly negative one, and we need to actually, you know, and the Resource Management Act does what it says in the term, it manages resources. So there is a sense that we need to actually manage um, our resources uh, better. So in 1984, they promised the, the incoming Labour government promised to clean up resource management, and for the entire time they're in government, which was um, six years, they're looking at a way of doing this, publishing papers, considering you know various approaches. We live in a country that is sort of constrained by these very beautiful pieces of 1980s and 1990s legislation, the kind of like 
I mean, they're almost like legislative filigree. The closer you get to them, the more beautiful and detailed and ornate they are. Like the Public Finance Act is, I mean, I'm speaking journalistically and not as a lawyer. I was going to say. The closer, <laughs> the closer that you get to them, it's more, the more beautiful and, and finely balanced it seems because it sort of touches every part of our lives uh, and, and it does so in, in quite a kind of balanced and thoughtful way. But it's a very, they're very hubristic pieces of legislation, those 1980s pieces of legislation, because you have a whole lot of um, university-educated men who come into government and, and think that, that this beautiful theory can be used to kind of rewire the clockwork of our economy and our lives, and then you just have to set the, the clock off and it will keep ticking and everything will be fine. And obviously, uh, speaking from 2021, they were very wrong. And RMA kind of comes through that, that moment. So... Jeffrey Palmer was the Minister for the Environment. Um, we get the Department of Conservation coming in in the 1980s. We get the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment established. So that's the Parliamentary Commissioner, is our big environmental watchdog. Uh, and then at the end of the 1980s, um, when Jeffrey Palmer is actually becoming Prime Minister, we finally get the beginning of the RMA. And the, the idea behind Jeffrey Palmer's RMA was to balance economic development with environmental you know, limits, uh, environmental need. The fourth Labour government conceived and drafted the Resource Management Act, but never got the chance to implement it. National won the 1990 election and eventually massaged and then passed the legislation led by then Environment Minister Simon Upton. The fundamental idea of the Act can sort of be summarised as let's draw some parameters for exactly how far we can push the environment without causing serious damage. If you want to do something and it falls within those parameters, go for your life. If it doesn't, bad luck. It's a very National Party thing because within those limits, you're absolutely free to do whatever you want. It's quite libertarian. But there are, there are limits. There is a boundary, an environmental boundary to the economy. The genius of the RMA is to have every resource in New Zealand, and you know, there are lots of them, and pile it into this piece of law. And this is where the criticism of the RMA um, comes in, is that it manages everything apart from minerals. And speaking again from the perspective of 2021, it's done a very bad job of managing those resources. So there are some resources, like um, like the land in our cities, which we've managed really poorly, because really, you know, we, we should be um, pushing those resources to the absolute limit. You know, there's, there's land in, in our cities that isn't being intensively developed, because we can't do that. So on one side of the of the equation, the RMA isn't being permissive enough because in our cities we really should push push that land to the limit. And um, so you'll remember that the RMA rolled in our water legislation, so the, the laws that looked after um, the ecological damage to our water systems, because obviously that is essential to you know life. <laughs> and obviously in the last thirty years, our water systems have degraded beyond all um, all comprehension. So on the other side of the equation, it hasn't adequately put limits um, on the degradation of the natural environment um, because the natural environment, in many respects, is in, a, is in a much worse state than it was in 1991 when the law was passed. Mm. So on both sides of the equation, the RMA has obviously failed, and there is consensus um, amongst everyone in Parliament that it has failed. It definitely seems as though it's a dense document that Mm. a whole lot of politicians just simply don't have their heads around. So I think simplifying the system, not just for the bureaucracy, but also for New Zealanders out there attempting to navigate it, is a positive thing. Look, it makes nobody happy. It needs to be replaced. But frankly, we knew all that three years ago. uh, And this government, uh, unfortunately, just has not taken the initiative to actually do uh, rather than report. 
Natasha Garvin is a lawyer who specialises in the RMA. She's a partner at Balgully. I gave her a call and I read her a series of statements, you know, the main gripes about the RMA, and I asked her to agree or disagree and then elaborate. First up, agree, disagree, the RMA is too long. Yeah, I'd agree with that, and it certainly hasn't helped that it's been amended numerous times in its 30-year um, history to date. Uh, statement number two, the Resource Management Act is too complicated. Agree, disagree? Yeah, I, you know, I think, and it goes back to that point about it's been amended so many times. Um, through that, you know, different amendments have been made and fixes, but that's just added layers of complexity and new processes which does make it very complex for the ordinary person to understand and comprehend. The Resource Management Act does not facilitate good, long-term urban development in New Zealand. I disagree that that's actually been caused by the RMA. I think three-year local political cycles haven't assisted with investing long-term, and nor have the local government funding cap or the inability of councils to recover the full cost of infrastructure when there is development. And I think that's really at the heart of why we haven't seen that long-term infrastructure development. The Resource Management Act does not adequately protect New Zealand's natural environment or freshwater standards. I think the science can speak to that. <laughs> and um, it's clear that, you know, the RMA, in terms of the environmental indicators, they've all been declining. And so... It hasn't achieved what it set out to in that regard either. The Resource Management Act gives disproportionate power to people who do not want change in their backyards. Uh, that's certainly an issue that the current government has identified and been trying to address through the new national policy statement on urban development in terms of talking about amenity and that people can't um, you know, need to expect change and and try and shift away from the status quo. And I think it's fair to say that um, there has been a focus on more on the preserving the status quo under the RMA in terms of how it played out, and that was identified by the um, review panel as well. Are there other big picture gripes that you would add to that list? Yeah, look, I think one... Thing that probably hasn't got a lot of airtime is the siloed national policy um, development. Mm. So what I mean by that is the government will come out with, for example, a national policy statement on freshwater management, which sets a direction for freshwater, and then they'll come up with a national policy statement for urban development, which you know is all about intensification and growth in terms of that space. But then there hasn't been that coherent integrated thinking and there's been a lack of integration. And so when you actually apply those two to any specific project, they cut across each other um, and there's conflict. And that's obviously, you know, what leads to debate and also um, additional complexity and, you know, the failure delays and people do actually get projects off the ground. Since 1991, the Resource Management Act has doubled in size. It's been amended some 80 times in the last 20 years. Its word count stretches to about 400,000, which is just slightly shorter than the Count of Monte Cristo and an outrageous length for a piece of legislation, even one as important as this. But as we've heard, now it's being reformed. So what's happening to it? 
Labour is still committed to this idea that undergirds the whole RMA, which is that it's better to have a single kind of law that deals with all resources. So we've got this sort of RMA kind of evolution, I guess, in their main replacement legislation, which is called the National and Built Environments Act, mm-hmm. NBEA, or NBA for saying now, which yeah. is quite confusing. Indeed. <laughs> No one's taken that one. <laughs> um, and then they've got this other uh, other piece of legislation um, called the uh, Spatial Planning um, Act, which that this is an interesting one because this is quite new. What this will do is obviously there's a lot of planning that gets done uh, at a central government level. The central government plans big infrastructure projects like dams and mainly roads and transport. Mm-hmm. Um, and central government is getting a little bit better, and this has happened again over the last sort of 10 years, at looking out over long periods of time and what it wants to do. Mm. So we're, we're talking about dams in the South Island now, which is, again, a very long um, time away, but we are thinking about it. We've got an infrastructure pipeline now. In Auckland, we're talking about the second Waitemata crossing, mm. um, which, which will happen but in the you know, distant future. So we've got this pipeline of things that we want to do. And what the Spatial Planning Act will, it will do is it will... It will Will be it will draw together all of the planning parts of the land um, transport um, act and other other parts of central government planning, uh, and it will force the central government and regional governments, local governments, to come together and and pull up these draw up these thirty year long plans for what they want to do in each area. So it means that central government and councils are on the same page mm. when it comes to the long view of what. Um, their particular region will look like. And what that means is that local government can get ready for your central government saying, well, we're going to put a, a new train line in which will open up this area of land for housing or, you know, don't develop here because it will be, you know, a tunnel yeah. <laughs> or something like that. It, it, will, it will mean that they're on the same page and it will, make it, it will just make it easier for both sides to plan mm. uh, long term. In 30 years, at the moment, the... The um, Wakatakotahi NZTA looks ahead 10 years into the future for its, its transport funding um, using uh, a GPS, or I should say the Ministry of Transport does that, sorry. Mm. So this will, this will be a really long-term pipeline for, for what, we're, what we're trying to do, which I guess it will give some certainty to people and developers that, um, you know, if you want to bring in new parts of the city on the city fringe into the city, you, you'll sort of know when the infrastructure will come to connect you. But most of us don't read through dense pieces of legislation for fun. So how does the RMA throw a spanner in the works of everyday life? I asked Thomas about a regular criticism of the RMA, that it's often weaponized to prevent developments for housing. That's a good hypothetical because you've got to kind of you've got to break it down into what's the RMA's fault and what is the fault of other parts of New Zealand society that mm. are a bit broken. So the RMA is unjustifiably complicated now. I think everyone agrees with that. But there's another argument that it hasn't been used appropriately. So we've only just got you'll hear I mean, I'm really sorry as well. The RMA story is kind of full of alphabet soup acronyms. So <laughs> Great. RMA so <laughs> yeah. So we've got these these things called NPSs, national policy statements. Yep. And each one has a has an acronym after it. So um we've got NPS U D, which is NPS Urban Development, oh, which is this goodness. big National policy statement on urban development, which right. was promulgated um, last year. How the RMA lets 
the central government talk about how it wants to use the, the resources that we have is it lets the central government set national policy statements. So part of that is this issue of building a six-storey tower block. Now, the government, for whatever reason, and we've had different governments over this time, the governments have been less than enthusiastic about using these national policy statements to essentially tell councils what they absolutely have to do when it comes to managing their resources. Phil Twyford, the Minister of Urban Development at the time, came along at the end of last year and essentially said, enough's enough. Here's the NPS Urban Development and said... And in certain cities of a, of a certain sort of size, new developments had to be of a certain size, um, a certain height. They were abolished minimum car parking requirements. So, so it's sort of it's partly the RMA's fault because it's empowered councils to plan in a way that uh, makes it difficult to develop, and it's partly the government's fault because they didn't just override the thing. Uh, in the first place and start issuing these national policy statements earlier because we've, we've got a couple this, this year. So the other, side, the other side of the equation is that there's been a national policy statement on fresh water, which sets higher standards for um, fresh water in New Zealand. So that's the, that's the other side of the equation is that it lifts, you can use these policy statements to lift the, the environmental standards. Mm. And on the other hand, on the other side of the equation is that you can use a, a national policy statement to... I mean, I don't really want to use the, degrade, the word degrade the environment, but yeah, it will. In an urban environment, it will mean that there will be more you know, concrete poured. Mm. The other thing which I think is lost in this debate is that what the RMA did was it came in at the time we consolidated a lot of our local government. So we had 800 organs of local government in, until the 1980s. So mm-hmm. these were you know, tiny little kind of parish councils, essentially. Um, these rolled into massive regional councils, which were given control over planning, which is essentially gives taking taking the RMA and giving effect to it in your local area. The problem is that they're very poorly funded, which means that they have an incentive to not develop land. They've got an inbuilt bias to not develop urban land, because if you do develop urban land, then that means you have to put in more pipes for um, the local government has to put in more pipes. You have to uh, build more roads, local roads. You have more pressure on your local government infrastructure. And it also, if you know, if you look at stuff like Shelley Bay and Ahumato, it means you're going to get sued. Mm-hmm. You know, well, not actually Ahumato because that hasn't, hasn't gone, uh, hasn't been too litigious. It was initially, but Shelley Bay has certainly been very, very litigious. So you open yourself up to to, to some seriously costly. Litigation. Nearly $800,000 has been spent on consultancy fees, legal costs and resource consents for the stalled project to build 350 homes, a hotel and a ferry terminal. The council admits the true cost is likely to be more. And so what council, what poorly found, funded council in their right mind would want to do all of that and go through all of that and, and just lose, lose, lose? What they earn in rates revenue is really not worth um, the liability of these extra infrastructure costs and the potential of, of being sued. So they've got um, that the the way that RMA functions at the moment with giving so much power to councils and taking it away from people like Muldoon and giving it to councils, which is obviously meant to stop people like you know a new Muldoon from being able to ride roughshod over a local area's wishes. But when you do empower councils like that, without giving them the funding to actually do the right thing, it means that they have an inbuilt bias to kind of do the wrong thing when it comes to developing. They need, you know, if you, if you did give councils more money, then they might actually 
have an incentive to use the RMA to do the right thing and intensify it. They'd reap the rewards of, mm. more, of more people living in their, in their catchment. In Auckland, there's a lot of land where you can expand and you can build new suburbs in Auckland fairly easily from a land perspective. But the council has to really think twice about, you know, do we want to build roads out here? Do we want to build pipes out here? Mm. Um, do we want to be responsible for more public transport out here? And what does the council get in return? You know, a few extra ratepayers. Uh, that's just, there, there really isn't the incentive for councils to, to do that, um, which is again why Auckland's done the right thing and probably intensified as well, mm. because it, that does mean that, 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 you, that you have more pressure on your infrastructure, but it, it doesn't mean that you have to build so much new infrastructure. And I think why that's relevant to the new RMA is that there really isn't much appetite at central government level to give local government more funding. Mm. So you run the risk of having this new sort of fancy RMA system um, but the same incentives are there. So that you've got this new lovely RMA system, but councils still don't want to um, develop. NIMBYs uh, you know, are cashed up and they don't want councils to develop. So there's, there's every chance that whatever sort of fish hooks there are in this new legislation will just be used in the same way that we've been using the RMA for the last 30 years. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Rangi Poet and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Thomas Coughlin and Natasha Garvin. Ka kite ana. 